You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning. Oh, it is good. Despite what's out there, it's a good morning. And hey, welcome to all of our friends online. Great to have you with us. I know in the first gathering, we had over 300 people online with us. We have about 280 right now online with us. And so welcome. Glad you're a part of our gathering today. Before we jump into the teaching, I just want a minute to celebrate the volunteers that make this happen. Uh, This morning, Pastor Dennis was texting me at our Claire Lee campus because we had talked about doing a much scaled down version because they're a set up and tear down church. So they set up and tear down every week. So we thought, bring an acoustic guitar, Pastor Keith Smith's down there teaching. Let's do something very small. And his volunteers showed up en masse and said, no, we're going to lug all the gear in. (laughs) We're going to get it down from the Agent Corps campus, and we're going to set up church, and we're going to do church. And I just think that's so typical of the volunteers that are part of this congregation. And if you get a chance to high-five some of the ushers and the production team and our camera workers or children's workers, do that. And by the way, if you have a child in our child care... Pastor or Stephanie Jones, our, our children's leader, uh, it's her birthday today. I'm just saying, go ahead and say happy birthday to her. That'd be a great thing. So it's a great celebration. So welcome to church. We're glad you're here. Let's jump into things. There was a poll done, a national Canadian poll, and it was asked of Canadians, if you could ask God one question and you knew he would answer you, uh, what would you ask him? And uh, with a large uh, majority, they asked this question. Why is there pain and suffering in this world? It's a great question, isn't it? It's a hard question. It's a hard question when you're a person of faith and you're reconciling who God is. It's a hard question to understand if you're not a person of faith and you're trying to figure this out. Why is there pain and suffering and evil in this world? And I love being a part of a church that doesn't avoid the tough questions, is not afraid to walk towards the messy issues that we encounter in culture and society. The, the It's Complicated series is going to be a really great series, and I'm going to invite you to participate and be a part of it. Uh, in two weeks' time, we're going to have a special speaker, Sam Albury here, and he's going to talk about being single and how to thrive as being single. And He's from the United Kingdom. I'm looking forward to his uh, teaching. It's going to be fantastic. That night, he's going to host a gathering. We're going to talk about same sex attraction, LGBTQ, and community, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful time for us to understand how the Bible intersects with culture and how do we reconcile these things with two things in mind. Whenever you deal with complicated or difficult or even hard questions, always make sure you hold grace and humility in your hands because we want to position ourselves to learn and to be able to express love even if we see differences, and I love that. We're going to talk about being married Staying married, what do you do if you don't want to stay married? You know, all of those things. What about parenting? How do you direct your money? How do we fix this world? We're going to be dealing with those in our It's Complicated series. And as with every series, we'll have a number of resources we bring into the Resource Center. And it's in our lobby. If you're online, your your Resource Center might be Amazon.ca. I don't know. One of those areas. But we have a number of books and resources with each of our series that help you go a little bit deeper. So let's jump in and let's answer the question. What do we do with pain and suffering? I think we need to acknowledge first that there's two questions around it. For one, it's a philosophical question. 
For some people, they struggle to reconcile a God that would allow this in the world, and that's a barrier to them stepping into faith with God, or even if they're in a faith relationship with God, it's a barrier to trusting him to going deeper because they look at this world and they see what we see. How do you justify it? How do you explain the world as it is today? This last week was horrific in Canada. We, we Canadians drew together and mourned together as did people around the world as a bus collides with a transport truck in a rural crossroads in Saskatchewan. And 16 lives are taken, many of which were just young people, hockey players. And there's dozens others injured. And it's in moments like that, you mourn, but you also ask, why? Like, why God? Where were you? How come that was allowed to happen? At an even larger scale than Humboldt, and we'll have a moment just to pray about that situation at the end of our gathering, but a larger moment. In 2004, and some of us in our church family, because we come from over 70 nationalities, would have been affected by this. But a tsunami hit the Indian Ocean Rim, and 160,000 lives were snuffed out in a moment. It's hard to fathom when you start talking numbers that large. And you... You pause and you push back and you say, why? Now, during that time, journalists and others took a hold of what was rattling in the hearts of other humans, like, where was God when this happened? But was really put forth by a philosopher named David Hume. David Hume said this. David Hume, uh, uh, he's long gone now, but he said this. He said, the Christian God, the God of the Bible, could not possibly exist because the God of the Bible is described as being all good, and all-powerful, or all-loving and all-powerful. And he's described that way in the Bible. And David Hume, a philosopher, said, that can't possibly be true. In light of everything that's happening in this world, all of the pain and suffering and evil in this world, he's either all-good or all-powerful, but he can't be all-good. Or, the inverse of that, he's all-good, but he can't possibly be all-powerful because if he was all-powerful and all-good, he would have stopped that bus. He would have stopped that tsunami. He would have stopped your pain. He would have stepped in and stopped your suffering. He would have ended evil if he was a God that was all-loving and all-powerful. I love the Bible. And one of the many reasons I love it is because it's filled with people who had that same philosophical angst. They too questioned. Reconciling the God they understood and the, God that, and the experiences that they were experiencing. Psalm 10 verse 1 says it this way. One of the psalmists, he said it this way. Why, Lord, do you stand off, far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Which of us have not asked that? Some form of that. Maybe that's why we love the book of Psalms. So many Christians love the book of Psalms. Maybe it's because it gives voice to the questions that rattle in our hearts. How many times do you read in Psalms like, how long, God, will we have to wait? Or why, God, is this allowed to happen? Or why are my enemies triumphing? There's all kinds of questioning in the book of Psalms. And somehow that's comforting because it gives voice to what we're feeling and experiencing in our lives. For some of us, This is a philosophical question, but for others of us, when we talk about pain and suffering in this world, this is a personal question. 
Friends, before I'm a leader or a teacher, I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for 25 years. I've walked with people through some pretty horrific things. It's been painful to even recall some of the things that I was a part of as I journeyed with people. I've, I've buried people's babies. Boy, that's tough. I have done the funeral of a mom who took her life. Felt like she couldn't handle it anymore. I've walked with people when their marriages have fallen apart. I've seen people's careers end prematurely. And it's devastating. They were, way, they were invested in it. I've watched people's reputations ruined and they can't get it back. I've watched them grieve. I've seen suffering. I've seen pain. Shelly and I journey with some friends we love dearly. They're just amazing people. They love God. They've served God. Uh, they have done so much good in this world. But when MS afflicted our friend and took away her ability even to walk, and we watched them suffer. And you know what was uh, so terrible, what some suffering in this world is, is they found a new normal. Finally, they worked around some of their pain and suffering. They found a new normal only for the disease to progress a little bit further. And they had to find a new, new normal. And on the sidelines, Shelley and I would be looking there, praying for them, and at the same time saying, God, when is enough enough? Like, when is this going to end? When is the torture going to end? Because, friends, pain has this unique ability to make you feel like your life is standing still while everyone else's is thriving. It has a way of making you feel like your life is on hold. It might not even be physical pain. It might be emotional pain that you have. And then you look on social media, and every, you see everybody's highlight reel on social media, don't you? You see all of their lives moving forward, and you feel like you're stuck. That's what pain and suffering can do. And if left unchecked over time, people begin to wish that they weren't here, that they're just a drag on the people around them. Now, for you, for some people, this is a philosophical question. For others, this is personal. This is personal. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about the philosophical problem with pain and suffering in this world, and we're going to talk about the personal side. And at the end of our gathering, we're going to make it available to pray with you here in this room, as well as uh, online. You can go to the bottom of your screen. There's a live prayer request, and you can go ahead, and one of our pastors will be there and available to pray with you. But we want to journey with you as we all deal with pain and suffering in this world. But the first thing we're going to do is let's tackle the philosophical question of how can a good God allow suffering? I think even if you're here today and you're here because you're a Christian, and on a day like today, that's likely the truth. <laughs> you probably persevered the snow and the sleet and stuff to get here because you're a person of faith. Otherwise, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> it's a joke. It's a very small joke. How do we answer this question philosophically? Well, here's how philosophers challenge the existence of God when they see pain and suffering and evil in this world. Um, a philosopher named J.L. Mackey, he came up with a little formula that he would say disproves the existence of God. It goes like this. Mackey says this. A, if God exists, God would not allow pointless evil. 
Key to this first point is this word pointless. Mackie keeps coming back to this. This is really important for you to rivet in your heads just in a moment here. Then letter B. There is much unjustifiable, pointless evil in this world, to which all of us might say, yeah. And he would say, okay, so God would not allow this, but it is here, letter C. Therefore, God does not exist. Now, in his formula, uh, the way he states it is a premise that's hidden in letter number B. There is much unjustifiable, pointless evil in this world. Here's the, here's the thing. He renders it pointless evil because, and this is his presumption here, if he can't possibly see a good reason for it, there must not be a good reason from it, for it. The idea is this, that from our perspective, we see perfectly. And if we can't see a good reason for it, there mustn't be a good reason for it. There's a big problem with this line of thought. And philosophers have since begun to abandon this because it's hard to defend. And the problem is simply this. We know that not all suffering is pointless. Some of it you might even call pointful suffering. That's not a word, but we're making it up today. Pointful suffering. A man driving his car gets into an accident. Car's written off. He's injured. He's taken to the hospital. He re, at part of the recovery period, he's assigned a physiotherapist, and this physiotherapist helps him get better. And he falls in love with this physiotherapist. And he marries this physiotherapist. And they have six children together, and they live a wonderful life. Sound like a fairy tale? That's how my dad met mom. That's their story. Now, you could ask him, was it pointless suffering? And he'd say, oh, no, 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 it was pointful. It was pointful suffering. There was good, listen, at a more micro level, much of us would have to agree, we have gone through some tough moments in our life and it has built character in us. It's changed our perspective. Often, even sometimes moments of pain and suffering leveraged us off our ideologies that were ending against a hopeless dead-end wall and moved us to begin to consider even God. It was windows of opportunities. Here's the problem, though, with pointful suffering. Any type of suffering you're going through, you can't see the point of it while you're in it. You just can't. Even when you're one step removed from it, it's not clear. I like to think of pointful suffering this way. If you're over the age of 40, you remember how photography used to work. You took a picture, you took your film to a store. You had, I know if you're under 40, you're going like, what? Don't you just point and shoot and there it is? No. And then you'd wait a couple weeks for it to develop. And then you go back to the store, give them your money. They would give you a little packet filled with pictures. And it was always a mystery shoot as to what was in that packet, right? You thought you had those wonderful family pictures only to see your finger over the lens or light was all distorted, or everybody had red eyes. You remember those days? Everybody had red eyes in those days. And occasionally there'd be this picture that was beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, and it was better than you were, <laughs> better than you were as a photographer. But it took time to develop. Sometimes when we're going through suffering and pain, it's hard, but sometimes it takes time to develop. What is the pointfulness in this? Now, this doesn't satisfy Mackey's argument totally because Mackey talks about the larger stuff. 
What do you do with unsolicited diseases and tsunamis? And what do you do with, with a, a humbled occasion? What do you do with these pieces that come our way where we wonder, where is God? How can God allow this? In other words, what does God know that we don't know? What does he know that we don't know? I think it's important that we can see that he has a different vantage point than us. And I want to say that from the very beginning. Because there's no way I could possibly satisfy everybody's thought process or everybody's feelings around this. But I want to be sensitive to both. But I will say this. One of the principal ways of looking at pain and suffering in this world is to remind ourselves that God created every human being with a free will. A free will. God gave us the ability to choose between evil and good, to make good decisions or bad decisions. And if you do the math and you take a step back, maybe you'd have to acknowledge that much of the pain and suffering and evil in this world is because humans have made decisions that lead to those conclusions. This is hard. Just bear with me for a moment as we unpack that. Because there's a part of us that would say, God, why didn't you stop me from making a bad decision? But do the math on that. What if God intervened every time you were going to make a bad decision? You would have to suspend free will. You would lose your freedom. You would become like a puppet. But God baked in us an ability to make decisions, to have free will, to choose good over evil, good decisions over bad decisions. And that is in us as a pe- that free will God honors to this day. But my grandfather was in World War I. He was with the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery. Saw horrific things. It was a, it was a terrible war, as every war is. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't blame God. He didn't blame God for what his friends were gone through or the, the, the people that were killed alongside of him. He blamed the men that made the decision to go to war. He blamed those that fueled and perpetuated the war. Oh, it was often stated with noble purposes, but it was often very selfish. They were going to get more territory or land or power or authority. There were all kinds of reasons to go to war. That was people, humans' decisions. Now, this is why free will is awkward when it comes to pain and suffering, because you got to play the movie both ways. Some of the suffering and pain and evil we experience in the world is because other people have made bad decisions that impact our lives. Other governments have made bad decisions that impact our lives. Some government leaders have tweeted things that impact our lives. These things happen in this world that are outside of our control, but it's free will. But it gets hard when we have to look at our own lives. Sometimes the suffering and pain we experience in our own lives is because of free will. We make sometimes very bad relational decisions. And then when it comes to bear, sometimes we wonder, where's God when it's suffering because of those decisions? Or we make very bad decisions physically and caring for our body and and maybe played out over time that leads to suffering or pain and we wonder where's God in those moments to be honest with you friends there are many levels of pain and suffering I'm only talking about one right now but I'd say this some of it is I could look in the mirror at who manufactured it I made some bad decisions along the way and it led to a point of pain and suffering was that God's fault now This is difficult because the way we read the Bible is usually from a vantage point that is helpful for us and maybe not true to the text. 
People will often say this, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God judged them. Wasn't it terrible what he did? He told them he, they had to leave the garden, that brokenness entered the world, but, but God never did that if you read the text. God told them, here's a decision. The fruit of that decision will lead to death and darkness and brokenness and decay. And they chose the fruit of that decision. Here's the difficult thing about free will. Free will exists in this world. We see it every day. If you have children, you see it on display all the time. Free will. And free will contributes to much of the pain and suffering and evil in this world. But it still doesn't answer the question, though, about what about the tsunamis? What about the diseases that people are afflicted with? That's certainly not connected to free will. Now, here's where we would move to another phrase. Not free will, but a fallen world. So the Christian narrative is this, that in the beginning, God created this world, and it was created to work a certain way. Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says this, we know that the whole of creation, that word means everything. It means all the animal kingdom. It means all of the nature and the environment, the tectonic plates that are in place holding this world together. All of humanity has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. Why is it groaning? Because it's broken. It's not working the way God designed it to work. Paul would say in the preceding verse, someday this is all going to change. He said this, someday that creation itself will be liberated, freed from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Someday, this world that is now in bondage to decay will be freed and liberated and restored. It talks about a someday moment. This is why in the New Testament, it's interesting when you read it, it always describes a world that's at war with itself. There's a conflict with itself all the time. And in a more even spiritual level, it talks about a world that's in friction with itself. There's a spiritual war that's happening. And what's interesting, for Christians, you don't fight with weapons, earthly weapons made with hands. But instead, the weapons of our warfare are prayer. Partnering with God that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The weapons we use are love. We love love, and we are people that express love. Even if we have differing opinions, we, we, lo we love, and we're also people of action. Did you notice next weekend we're going to do some Earth Day cleanup of the environment, the city here? You're welcome to participate with that. That's love in action, restoring his creation. We are here pushing back against spiritual darkness. That's why we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Precisely because often in this world, God's will is not done. When a child dies of cancer, that's not what God designed it to work like. When a bus collides with a truck, God never designed the world to operate that way. When a tsunami envelops the Indian Ocean Rim, that was never a part of God's plan. That is not the fruit of what God wanted for our world. Some people see suffering and pain and evil, and they see a vacuum. God can't exist. I would like you to consider today, if that's you online or even in this gathering, I'd like you to consider that that might actually be a proof for God. It might be a proof for the presence of God. Let me ask you a question here. 
And I think if I polled each of you individually online and in this room, you probably all agree that killing innocent people and abusing children is wrong. Right? I'm seeing some heads nod here. Yet we kind of know it's wrong. We kind of know that someone walking into a school with a gun and shooting students is wrong. So the question is, how do you know it's wrong? Like, why, why do you think it's wrong? What is there in you that says this is wrong and this is right? Baked into every human being is a moral code inherently. It's baked into us as people. We kind of know that these things are wrong. They're unjust. Systemic poverty, systemic racism, sexism, all of that. It's wrong. We know it. There is something inside of us that knows that's wrong. And the question is, where does that come from? C.S. Lewis put it this way from Oxford University, philosopher, theologian. He said this, when I was an atheist... My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? It hit him as a philosopher. How could I call this world unjust? Where did that sense of justice actually come from? And the Bible would say this, that in the beginning, God has planted eternity in the human heart. That God has given us a sense of moral code. That's why, friends, it bothers us so much when we see it in this world. That's why when, when we see these hockey sticks out and we see them all across Canada and we hear the story, we're bothered by it. It grieves us because we know it's not the way it's supposed to be. There is something inside of all of us that longs for beauty and love and peace, and justice. And every time we feel that friction in our culture and society, it's like a nostalgia for what we were designed to be and where we were designed to live, and it is in contrast to where we find ourselves. Now, for philosophers, they would push back at this argument. They would say, God didn't bake into us a moral code. Instead, the evolutionary process reworked our brain circuitry towards the word survival, survival of the fittest. So we, we now want good. We want to preserve life. We want to make society good because we want to survive. Now, there's so many problems to that argument, but I don't have time to unpack it all. But I will say this. If that was truly the case, that our moral code was not from God and it was not a moral code that's innately put in us so that we have a sense of justice of what's right and wrong, if it was baked in through the evolutionary process over centuries and our brain circuitry worked in a way towards survival, then we would applaud some of these disasters because it thins the crowd. It creates more opportunities for us more resources for us to consume. Why? It is ultimately then about your survival. So if there's less competition, there's more opportunity. The evolutionary process cannot possibly have baked into us a moral code that would actually self-sacrifice for another. That is someone higher. That is the creator God who placed that in our hearts. Friends, this is philosophically speaking. And for some of us in this room, this doesn't really matter today because your pain is personal. I want to share two things about personal pain before we transition into a moment of prayer. 
I will say this, that philosophically, I don't believe that pain and suffering and evil in this world demonstrates the, uh, uh, that God doesn't exist. I think it actually demonstrates that God does exist and that someday all of that pain and suffering and evil will end. But as we end our gathering, I'm going to talk about what Jesus did. When God comes back to end evil, he's providing a way that when evil is ended, we don't end with it. Because inside of each of us, we have sin. We have evil. We have brokenness inside of each of us. And Christ has come to restore that. That's at the end of our gathering. What do you do with personal pain? I want to talk to two groups. I want to talk to those of us who know people that are suffering today. You know people in pain. You know people that are going through difficult things. What do you do when people are suffering around you? There's a great book written by a guy. He's gone now. His name was Joseph Bailey. Joseph Bailey had uh, seven children. Three of his sons died prematurely, tragically. And he wrote a book called Views from the Hearse. It's still available. If you're grieving, it is a wonderful book because he's a man of faith, but he is dealing with the real questions and the trauma that we face in this world and pain and suffering. But he tells a story in this book. He talks about when he's in the funeral parlor and a man, a Christian man, came and sat next to him while he's grieving one of his sons. And the Christian man says to him, Joseph, God has a plan. God has a plan. Stay strong. All things work together for good for those who love him. And Joseph Bailey in his book said, I couldn't wait for this man to leave. Could not wait for him to leave. And he left, and another man sat next to him. And he was a Christian man also. He sat next to him, and he said nothing. He said, when I had a question, he answered me. When I was quiet, he was quiet. And before he left, he said, Joe, can I pray for you? He said, I didn't want that man to leave. One man, I couldn't wait for him to leave. I didn't want this man to leave. Friends, if you have the privilege, and I say it's a privilege, to journey with people who are going through suffering and pain, always choose presence over philosophy. Always choose time over theology. You don't need to defend God. You don't need to defend this moment and try to bring some reason around it. You need to be present. It's a, it's a healing bomb, friends. There might be a day and age where the philosophical and theological questions matter, but in those moments, they don't matter. They do not matter. When my wife lost her dad a number of years ago, and it was traumatic and sudden and unexpected, and we had some friends knock on our door at 8 in the morning and walk in and just sit with us and say nothing and answer us when we need it, when we had questions and pray with us. Those people were part of God healing our hearts. They'll be our friends forever. Friends, when you have the privilege of journeying with someone, be Jesus to them. God says that he's an ever-present help in time of need. And God comes alongside of us in our brokenness. He's not trying to prove something to us. He's trying to care for us. He wants to be there for us. He doesn't run at the first sign of suffering. He moves in at the first sign of suffering. And may we be the same type of people. Because sometimes, friends, it's awkward. When we see people in pain and suffering, sometimes we don't know what to do, and so we don't do anything. Just show up. 
Show up with presence. Show up with time. Be there. Don't need to say anything. You don't have to come up with all the answers. Just be present. Now, let me end by just talking to those, maybe in this gathering or online, and right now, you're going through pain and suffering. Let me speak to you. Let me say this. It might be with a child. It might be with a spouse. It might be physical pain. It might be relational pain. It might be spiritual pain. It might be brokenness and levels that you haven't even quite figured out. I'll say this. I'm sorry. I am sorry that you are facing this right now. I'm sorry you're going through this. No amount of philosophical arguments even matter when you're going through it. I'm sorry for the wrestling and the turmoil that's going on in your heart. I know this, that our culture's not prepared you for this. In Western culture, we don't talk about pain and suffering, not like some other cultures. We bury it because the point of life is happiness. And suffering and pain is just a pointless invasion into our lives, a pointless distraction in our lives. A friend of mine, his name's Doug, and he's a pastor. He's about 10 years older than me. Uh, I remember Doug telling me this a few years ago when he, he was diagnosed with cancer, and it was uh, av- absolutely ravaged his body. And if you've known anyone or love or you've been through it, you know even the treatment is as bad as the cancer. It feels that way. And he said in a moment when he was laying on his bathroom floor at the height of the pain and his body just broken underneath it. Doug said, I cried out to God. I said, God, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I've served you all these years. I've tried to do the right things. Why am I going through this? And he said, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm using his words. Hit me like a ton of bricks in that moment. Why not me? Why not me? It rains on the just and the unjust. Creation is broken. I know this. Why why am I spared these moments? And then he said, it hit me right after that. Better me than someone who doesn't have faith. Better me because I've got this settled. I know my eternity. I understand eternal life in the context of this limited, finite life. You know, when he's saying that, the first thing that came to mind, I remember seeing on social media feed a a Christian news media outlet tweet once about a bomb that went off in, in Egypt, and they said, thank God no Christians were killed. I was like, what? Better them than those who don't know Jesus. Have we missed the point of this? Has this life become better than the life that God has promised us forever? Are we clinging on to things around us so tightly with, with almost no love for what God has yet to lead us into? His glory, his presence, what that will look like. I realize, oh, I bought into the Western mentality. I bought into that the world that I know and see and accumulate things in, that's it. No, 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 eternity. And our society, you know this, it's so ill-equipped on our social media feeds. If you're on Facebook, it's amazing when a tragedy happens, as terrible as it is, atheists and agnostics alike, they borrow religious concepts. Thoughts and prayers for you. We're sending out light and love to you. They borrow religious concepts because their worldview has nothing to offer in those moments. Karma is an interesting concept. Everyone loves it until there's pain and suffering. 
Karmic theology says that we're getting what we actually deserve. Karmic theology actually blames the victim. It's very interesting how we never talk about it because people talk about karma when it's good stuff. But karmic theology actually blames the victim in the end. Jesus is fascinating. In John chapter 9, there's a story where Jesus teaches against karmic theology. In John chapter 9, a blind man who's been blind since birth is brought before him. And the disciples say this to him, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Notice, they are like us. They want to know the reason why. And they come up with often simplistic answers, which we often do. Simplistic answers because we don't want to live in the tension of not knowing why. And Jesus responds this way and says, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And in the story, Jesus heals this man. But there are no simple answers in the story. There's more questions that erupt even from Jesus' response. And again, this is the understanding that maybe his vantage point is different than our vantage point. But here's what I can offer to you today. Christianity offers a God who has also suffered. When you read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's clearly a man in shock. He is under such duress that it says he is sweating like drops of blood. He's calling out and saying, God, is there, is there not another way? And then the, as he would hang on a cross, he would cry out again, God, where are you? I can't find you. And Jesus suffers on the cross so that ultimately suffering will end. Evil will end. Pain will end. Jesus went right into the furnace of the darkest of pain. He dove headfirst into the vilest of evil and filth in this world. He broke down the door standing between death and destruction and us. And he stands between us and all that is evil and all that is vile and all that is dark. And he stands between us and that and says over my dead body. See, Jesus died and rose again from the grave so that we could have hope no matter what the circumstances. Uh, there's a great trilogy. I've quoted them often. I love the Lord of the Rings. We did a series last summer on it, if you're around here. Near the end of it, there's this character in the Lord of the Rings named Gandalf, and he died, and he came back again. And one of the hobbits, Sam Gamgee, says to him, when he sees Gandalf, he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And he said, is everything sad going to become untrue? What a great question. And the Christian answer to that question is, yes. Someday, everything sad will become untrue. Someday, everything taken will be restored. Someday, all evil will end forever. It will be crushed. All suffering and pain will end. Someday, the suffering we have, and that moment of glory with Jesus when we spend eternity with him, over the course of that, that's why Paul could say that our troubles today and our suffering today are but light and momentary. They don't feel like it. 
That almost sounds insulting to some people in this room, but what he means is, in the light of eternity and glory with Jesus, it will look so small then. It will look so small. And for many of us who have suffered loss in this life, all the more sweet will the reunion be in the next. All the more beautiful will the restoration be in the next. Friends, I don't have all the answers for this. I'll stay around at the end of our gathering, especially if you have philosophical questions. We're going to pray, though, right now, because I feel like we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do a healing work in people's lives. So I'd invite you to posture your hearts online and as well as in this room. Let's pray. Let's pray for the people that surround us and pray for the people around us today. Well, Father, we come to you today not as people who have maybe even satisfactory answers to all of our questions. We recognize there are elements of faith here, God, that we are stepping in and we're trusting you with. I'm so thankful, God, that we come to you and you understand our suffering because you suffered. And God, we just pray for those around us online as well as in this room right now that their level of suffering, they might even be sitting there, if you knew what I went through, Jonathan, if you had suffered what I'm going through right now every day, oh God, you know how they feel. And Lord, we pray, Jesus, that you would be present. You would be the ever-present help in time of need. You would invade their space, their mind, their body, their psyche with love and health. God, that you would do a work in them, God. Lord, what seems pointless at this time, God, may you bring good out of even the evil that happens in this world, even the brokenness that happens in this world. God, we place our trust in you, and we ask you to help us, God. Lord, we lack faith. Help us with our faith. God, we doubt you in the dark. Shine a light in the dark for us, God. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to keep walking through it, to the other side, Lord. And God, I pray, Jesus, that where there is lack of hope in this room, that somehow by your spirit, hope would be breathed into this room. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.